5. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use the Bible in the pews in front of you. You're also welcome to take that Bible home. Last week we were having some audio issues, and it seems like we had one just now during the prayer. Can, can you guys hear me in the back? Can everybody hear me? Good to go? Okay. Ephesians chapter 5. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sung in flight and learned too late they grieved it on its way, do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on that sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. This famous poem by Dylan Thomas is ultimately about an unwillingness to submit. In the case of Dylan Thomas, he's sitting there watching his father dying. And he doesn't want him to give in, to succumb, to submit to the inevitable, to the reality of death. What is it about the idea of submission that repulses us? Why is it that the idea that we must submit to anyone or to anything outside of ourselves causes us to die a little on the inside? Even in the church, when we should be accustomed to this language of submission, the word submit can cause us to squirm in our seats. You talk about submission and submitting, and all of a sudden the room just gets a little tenser, right? It's funny how certain words can cause us to have certain reactions like this. When I say the word beach, everyone brightens up. They start thinking about sitting in the sand, maybe some country music playing in the background, right? Isn't that what country music is all about, butt in the sand? But when I say the word mucus, everyone cringes a little. So how do you feel when I start talking about submission? I ask because this morning's sermon is all about submission. And actually, the next three sermons are going to be all about submission, submission and authority in different spheres, starting in chapter 5, verse 21 of Ephesians, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. Paul is going to be talking about authority and submission in the home, in the relationship of a marriage, in the home, in the relationship between parents and children, and then finally in society in general. 
But it all begins here in verse 21 where Paul says that we as spirit-filled people will also be a people of submission. That is, we will submit to one another in the life of the church. Well, let's just read about this together. We'll start a little bit back for the sake of context. And uh, we'll probably read a little bit forward as well for the sake of more context. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen. Father, we pray that your word would do your work in the life of your people this morning for the glory of your name alone. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we read a little bit before and a little bit after our verse this morning, but verse 21 is our verse. We're talking about submission. Now, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, talking about submission would not have been complicated or controversial. Today, it's both. And it's not just submission in marriage or between parents and children that causes our stomachs to churn a little bit. It's, it's this idea of submission in general, as I alluded to and actually said quite explicitly in the introduction. As independent people, we don't like to think about ourselves as those who have to submit. As Americans, this is especially difficult for us to stomach. Our whole national identity is built around the fact that when another country across the pond tried to make us submit and speak their bad version of whatever English is, we said no. We said we like biscuits. We don't like crumpets. We want coffee, not tea. I'm going off the rails now. Okay, the only problem with this instinct in us, this, this, this thing that says we don't like to submit, well, it's just not in tune with our reality. You see, whether you like it or not, every single one of us has to submit. Every single person in this room lives a life of submission in one way or another, and for all of us in several ways, and that is without exception. The dictionary definition of submission is as follows. The action of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. That's all of us. We all have to accept and or yield to superior forces and authorities and people in our lives, from police officers to banks from the IRS to our supervisors at work. For some of us, our own children sometimes are that superior force in our lives to which we must submit. Their will of force is just so much greater than our own. We all live in a world where we are subject to people and systems with greater authority than what we possess. And I think Paul understood this reality. But I think Paul would want to add something to this dictionary definition of submission. He would want to add the reality of God. Biblically speaking, 
Submission is what happens when we recognize the pattern of authority and order that God has established, and then we pattern our lives accordingly. I'm going to say that again. Biblically speaking, submission is what happens when we recognize the pattern of authority and order that God has established, that he has built into the fabric of our lives in this world. And then we order and pattern our lives accordingly. God is a God of order. God has shaped and designed our world in an orderly fashion. God has ordered every sphere of life, the home, the church, society, to function with a proper balance of authority and submission. And in order for us to live lives that are pleasing to God, we must recognize God's established order. And then we must submit our lives to it. That's why Paul says this in Romans 13. Be subject to the governing authorities. And remember who the governing authorities were when Paul wrote this. Whatever you think about any current president or past president or future president, None of them are probably as bad as the authority that Paul is talking about here. Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. This is typical Paul. He says it one way, and then he says it another way, just to make sure that you understand the point that he's making. And the point is, there's no authority that exists that God didn't put there in that place. So, my questions for you this morning are as follows. What if submission were not something that we were forced to do? But rather, what if it were something that we delighted to do? What if submission was not a pejorative term in our mind, something, a word that we use negatively? But rather, what if it was a word that conjured up images of joy and peace and love and prosperity? In last week's sermon, we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, and we saw what happens in the life of the church when the church is filled by the Spirit of God, right? We have an overflow of thanksgiving, and then that thanksgiving flows out of our lives and out of our lips into encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, and as we make melodies to the Lord with our heart. And in verse 21, we see that one additional response to being filled with the Spirit is that we grow in our ability to submit. We submit to one another. Now, what you should know about this, submit, this uh, submission is that it's unique. You see, this is Christian submission. And Christian submission is not like any other submission that you know of in this world. What makes Christian submission so significant, so special, so unique, is that it is voluntary, not forced. So some of you may know that I practice something called Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know? We go and we, we wrestle and we try to break people's arms and choke people to sleep. It's a good time, good time. You should know that it's called the gentle art, but that's probably a misnomer. Really, it's all about controlling another human being physically to the point that you have it in with, within your power uh, to do them great harm. So if I wrap my arm around your neck and I control your hips with my legs, I have the ability to choke you unconscious. If I control your upper torso with my upper torso and my legs and I grab a hold of your arm in just the right way, I have the ability to snap your elbow in two. Not anybody in this room, of course. 
And in training, as well as in competition, we call that submitting someone. Either I'll break your arm or I'll choke you to sleep or you'll tap on my shoulder or somewhere on my body and you'll let me know, hey, you win, I lose, I submit. Now, as you can guess, this is just part of what it means to train in this art form. And no one likes to be submitted because when you tap, when you say you win, what you're basically saying is you exerted your will against me and I lost. When we submit to one another in jujitsu, it's because we have failed to exert our own will. But in the body of Christ, submission is something that we willfully enter into, something that we joyfully enter into. And the reason why, ultimately, is because we know what it accomplishes, right? This takes us all the way back to the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where Paul says that the Ephesians need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Submission in the Christian church is one of the tools that God has given us as his people to be able to maintain the unity that he purchased for us at the cross. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you've probably already... uh, you probably already heard us talk about this, even though we didn't maybe use this language. And on Wednesday nights, we're walking through 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 11, and we're talking about Christian liberty and Christian freedom, right? And we talk about the weaker brother and the stronger brother, the brother with a strong conscience, the brother with a weak conscience. Paul talking about the issue of meat being offered to idols and whether or not he's free to eat it. He says this, he says, I will never eat meat if it causes my brother to stumble. But Paul just got through saying before this that he has the right to eat the meat. So he's free in Christ to do it, but he's not going to do it because he doesn't want to harm another brother in Christ. That is, he's willing to submit to this other brother with a weaker conscience. Despots and evil rulers make people submit to them through violence and blackmail. But as Christians, when I put your preferences before mine, When I put your rights before my own rights, nobody's forcing me to do that. Not even God. Nobody's putting a gun to our head. We submit to each other in love because we're filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God leads us to be full of things like humility and gentleness and love. And as you know, love does not seek its own way. It seeks to serve. This is that kind of counterintuitive thinking that is over and over and over again seen to be at the heart of the Christian faith. We see that our dying is actually living. Our weakness is actually our strength. Our submission is actually our service. We see this example of submission in the life of Christ and in his ministry Jesus held himself up as an example for us to imitate when he said this. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think this is the exact teaching that Paul has in mind when he's talking to the Philippians and he's telling them how they can have unity 
how they can heal these fissures of division in the life of their church, he says something very similar to what Jesus says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Well, it's not hard to submit to someone when you consider them as more significant than you. Now, uh, all of this sounds really good on paper, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about submission. It's easy to say, yeah, my rights are second. Your rights are first. My preferences come last. Your preferences come before mine. But in practice... Well, this is difficult for a number of different reasons. Some of the reasons why submission is difficult are pretty profound. Some of them are pretty petty. So to narrow this discussion a little bit, I think the main reason why mutual submission in the life of the church, where one church member submits to other church members, I think the reason why that's so difficult is because we're sinners. And it's difficult to submit to another sinner. Right? I mean, submitting to God... Okay, that, that makes sense. He's, he's God. He's perfect. He's superior to us in every way. Plus, in the gospel, we see how much God has loved us and served us and sacrificed to us. And that just inclines our hearts to want to serve him and to submit to him, even if we do so imperfectly. But to have to submit to another sinner? Somebody who's a million, billion, trillion miles away from being who God is, to have to submit to that person? I don't know about that. Tim Norton? I loved him, but man, do I really want to submit to him? He's just as messed up as I am, if not more. Okay, well, maybe we can wrap our minds around the idea of submitting to fellow sinners like ourselves. As long as they have titles or they serve in some sort of official capacity in the life of the church, right? So maybe like it's, it would be easier for us to submit to a pastor. So when Hebrews thirteen seventeen commands us to obey our leaders and submit to them, it may not be easy for us to do that, but maybe it's easier, right? Because they have a title and wrongly or rightly, we tend to view pastors as being these people who exist on some other spiritual plane than us. That doesn't exist in this church. Everyone knows me a little too well. But to submit to a regular old sinner like the one sitting right next to you in the pew this morning, that is just extraordinarily difficult. To put their preferences before our own preferences, to view their needs as more significant than our needs, that is a tall order. And understandably so. But you should know that this is not an option for us in the Christian church. I wish I could say to you, yeah, you know what, man, you're right. Uh, Kelly isn't perfect, and she is pretty messed up, and so you should probably have your own way. You don't have to listen to her. You don't have to put her preferences before your own. Well, I just don't have the authority to tell you that because Christ so clearly commands that we have to submit to one another in the life of the church. So I guess my question then is, how do we get our arms around this thing? Right? How can we learn, how can we train our hearts to not resist submission, but rather to embrace it? How can we train ourselves to enjoy and to readily receive this design of authority and submission that God has built into the life of the church?
Well, let's look back at verse 21. I think Paul knows that we have difficulty submitting to other sinners like ourselves, and that's why he adds this little clause at the end of the sentence. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, Sean, man, this whole submission thing is pretty hard for me. Well, I'm talking to you right now. What I'm about to say is I think the key idea that God wants you to grasp in order to help your heart uh, learn to handle this uh, friction that you feel with his good design. I'm going to give it to you in one sentence. All appropriate submission is ultimately submission to God. All appropriate submission is ultimately submission to God. I think that's what Paul is implying there when he says, out of reverence for Christ. So, now you'll notice, before we dive into the bulk of what I just said there, you'll notice that I use the word appropriate. All appropriate submission is submission to God. Why am I using the word appropriate? Well, because there is some submission that is entirely inappropriate. Namely, if someone tries to get you to submit to them and that would lead you into sin, that would lead you to break the law of God, that would endanger your soul, that is a kind of submission that you, as a matter of fact, should reject, that you should rebel against. I have a couple of examples from the Bible. Consider the midwives in Egypt. Right, we all know the story. Pharaoh heard about Moses, wasn't happy, wanted, wanted him gone, goes and tells all the midwives in Egypt, kill all the, kill all the baby boys that are going to be born in the land. And then we read this in Exodus 1. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. So their reverence for God led them to disobey authority. Verse 20 adds, So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So there we have an example of somebody who tried to get them to submit inappropriately and they feared God and therefore rejected that command. You have the example of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and as my friends from Lawrence County say, a billy goat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, he made a royal decree that all who heard his music must fall down and worship the golden image of his God. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. See, that, so there's still just a tinge of respect in honoring the reality of this authority that God has still put in place, even though it's a corrupt authority. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. When Peter and John were arrested by the Jewish authorities, they said, stop preaching. Stop preaching the gospel. And this is how they responded. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Then they went on preaching and teaching more. Then they got arrested again. And the high priest said to them in Acts 5.28, 
We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answer, we must obey God rather than men. So if your dad demands that you worship Buddha, if your boss tries to get you to lie and to cheat and to steal to further the company's agenda, if your wife tries to get you to cheat on your taxes, if your pastor tries to get you to cover up abuse in the life of the church, if your government tries to get you to offer a pinch of incense on the altar of their gods, you must say no out of reverence for Christ. So how do we handle this, this balance? Well, I think, it's, I think it's pretty clear, pretty simple. You should be able to take this away with you fairly easily. We must ask ourselves when we are making the decision whether or not to reject the authority that God has placed in our lives, we must ask ourselves, will I be vindicated by God on judgment day for my rebellion against this authority? Right? So if I say, hey, as a church, we're going to pray together, and you say, I'm not doing it, Sean. Well, I think as you stand before the Lord Jesus on judgment day, you're going to have to answer to that, and it's probably not going to go well for you. If I say, hey... Uh, I need you to help me keep my affair a secret. And I'm using my authority to try to get you to do that. Well, I think on judgment day, if you rebel against my authority in that moment, it'll go well with you. The Lord will be pleased with you in the same way that he was pleased with the midwives who rebelled against that evil authority in their lives. Okay. Now, Assuming that your submission is to an appropriate authority, not that the authority is not in itself evil, but that the authority isn't asking you to do evil, all authority that is appropriate is from God. Therefore, all submission to that authority is ultimately submission to the Lord. Now, I'm not just getting this from verse 21. In chapter 5, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But this same kind of phrase is going to be repeated three more times by the time we get through with this whole section of Scripture. So in chapter 5, verse 22, talking about marriage and authority, excuse me, the relationship of authority and submission in the marriage, Paul says that wives must submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Same kind of language, right? Out of reverence for Christ as to the Lord talking about parents and children. Paul says that children must obey their parents in the Lord. Talking about bondservants and masters. He says that bondservants must obey their masters as to the Lord. It's the same kind of language over and over and over again. I think one of the main reasons why submission causes us to chafe is because we don't understand the sovereignty of God. It's because we don't understand that God has sovereignly placed all authority in our lives for his perfect purposes. When we understand that God has superintended all of this authority, even our bosses and our spouses and our parents and our presidents and our fellow church members, well, then it will make sense for us to submit to one another because we'll understand that that submission is ultimately Submission to God. I was really struggling trying to think of an illustration for this. Uh, the closest thing I got was what I'm giving you right now. So if it doesn't land, guys, you know, give me extra grace. I was thinking, how can, how can we think about this outside of this, the sphere of the home? and Well, maybe not in the home. I thought about military 
but I just feel like I use too many military illustrations. I'm drawing from a shallow well here. Ultimately, I thought it's kind of like when parents go out on a date night and they ask their 16-year-old kid to watch their 10-year-old kid, you know? And as they go, they say, hey, listen, you're in charge. They tell the 7-year-old, 10-year-old kid, hey, she's in charge. You better listen while I'm gone, right? Parents go out on the date night hoping that their phone doesn't ring at all until they come home. Maybe that 16-year-old doesn't uh, lead with perfect righteousness. Maybe they don't exercise their authority with complete justice. You know, maybe, maybe they become a bit of a despot when mom and dad leave the house. Nevertheless, that 10-year-old still needs to listen and obey. Maybe not if the older brother says, hey, I need you to set the house on fire. But if he puts him to bed 30 minutes earlier than usual, he needs to listen, needs to obey. That 10-year-old, he doesn't want to obey that 16-year-old authority. You're a kid just like me. You're not a parent. You're not a mom. You're not a dad. But he still has to listen. And I think the reason why ultimately that happens, why the 10-year-old can listen to the 16-year-old, is because submission to the 16-year-old is ultimately submission to the parent. Because mom and dad said, you better listen to what he said. I'm putting this imperfect authority in place for my specific purposes. So submission to your brother is submission to me. I think that turned out okay. God has designed every sphere of life to function with a proper balance of authority and submission. The home functions with a proper balance of authority and submission between husband and wife, between parents and children, Civil society is designed to function with a proper balance of authority and submission, even with corrupt authority and imperfect submission. And God has designed the church to function in like manner. In the life of the church, we don't only submit to our leaders, as Hebrews 13, 17 commands, but we also have to submit to one another. And what that means is that as a leader, I also, and other elders in this church, also submit to you, the members of this church, in a hundred different ways. Rather than drone on for another 10 minutes about what it looks like to submit to one another in the life of the church, I thought I would just read some scripture to you. I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you. I'm going to just read some of the one another language that you find all throughout the New Testament. I think that will help you to understand what, what Paul means when he says that we must submit to one another. I'm going to be going rapid fire if you try to turn and in your Bibles for this, the odds are you're not going to make it. So just, I would encourage you to not become dull of hearing, as the author of Hebrews says. Mark 9.50, be at peace with each other. John 13, wash one another's feet. Romans 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12 again, honor one another above yourselves. Romans 14, stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15, instruct one another. 1 Corinthians 11, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. 1 Corinthians 12, have equal concern for each other. Galatians 5, serve one another in love. Galatians 5 again, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. Ephesians 4, be patient bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4 again, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4 again, forgiving each other. Ephesians 5, speak 
to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5, again, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Philippians 2, in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. Colossians 3, do not lie to each other. Colossians 3, again, bear with each other. Colossians 3, for the third time, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Colossians 3, two more times, teach one another, admonish one another. A couple from 1 Thessalonians, encourage each other, encourage each other, encourage each other, build each other up. Hebrews 3, encourage each other. Hebrews 10, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Hebrews 10 again, encourage one another. James 4, do not slander one another. Then like a bunch from James, don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. 1 Peter, love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. He says that twice in the same book. Love each other deeply. And you remember what the heart of love is, right? It's, 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 it's service. It's putting someone's needs before your own. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve the other. First Peter 5, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. And then, guys, I couldn't even keep track with the number of times that John commands his people to love one another. It's just love one another, 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 just over and over and over again. And if you just remember what that word means, he's just over and over and over and over again telling the people, put others before yourself, submit to each other. Ultimately, every member of this church, every member of Christ's church is a member of Christ's body. That is, we are all in the deepest and truest way possible connected to Jesus. So for us to love and to serve each other sacrificially is to love and serve Christ. To submit to each other is ultimately to submit to our Savior. You should know, brothers and sisters, that we have a very sympathetic high priest. Jesus knows what it's like to lay down his preferences, to sacrifice his rights for sinners. Jesus died to save us. He gave up the greatest right. He made the truest, highest, most noble, most painful sacrifice that could have been made. In Mark 14, we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying and he's preparing himself to enter into the fullness of suffering as he dies on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And he's there with his disciples. And his disciples can't even stay awake. He's like, hey guys, just pray for a little bit. Things are about to be tough. Just pray for me. And he comes back and again and again, they can't even stay awake. They can't even pray for him. And then that same night, these same sleepy disciples, they end up betraying him, denying him, and abandoning him. So why did Jesus do it? Why did he go to the cross for these people who couldn't even stay awake for him and pray for him, who betrayed him, abandoned him, denied him? Why did he do it? Well, I think it's, it's the heart of our text this morning. Paul says that we have to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and ultimately, Christ went to the cross out of reverence for the Father's will. Listen to what Jesus says as he's praying in the garden. Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, friends, even Jesus knows what it's like to submit 
out of reverence to God. Our submission may bring us pain sometimes. It's not easy to put somebody else's preferences before your own. It's not natural for us with our tainted hearts to put the rights and the wants and the needs of others before our own. It will hurt. But we will never know the pain that Jesus entered into as he put our needs before his own, as he took God's wrath on the cross. Finally, I want you to know that for those who know Jesus, all submission, all submission, even when it's hard, even when it brings real pain, for those who know Christ, all submission will ultimately lead to joy. Jesus, for the joy set before him, says the author of Hebrews, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did it for the joy that was set before him. And no matter how hard it is, brothers and sisters, we do it for the joy that is set before us. No temporary amount of discomfort, no light and momentary affliction that we feel from submission in any sphere of life is, can even come close to being compared to the, with the joy that we're going to be able to enter into with our master in heaven. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you two questions. What if submission were not something that we were forced to do, but rather something that we delighted to do? What if submission was not a pejorative term in our minds, but rather a word that conjured up images of love and peace and joy? Well, friends, I hope that we can see now how God is glorified, how the church is strengthened, and how our sanctification is increased through our submission to one another. Let's pray. Lord, you're able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. And unfortunately, we often think of things and ask for things that aren't really worth your time and attention. But this morning, Lord, we ask that you would do the miraculous, that you would give us the ability to be selfless, to be humble, to be loving, to picture the gospel through our sacrifice to one another. We pray that in this local church, we would have a unique witness to a lost and dying world about what love looks like in the gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with me.